Dry bones. Good job, Chad. Choir, orchestra. Do you ever feel like you're full of dry bones? And oh, that the Spirit of God would come and breathe new life into you, into your bones, into your life. And that's what we're talking about over these weeks as we, we, we tell the story of salvation. One family's story of salvation. And last week we asked the question, do you have a story of salvation? Is there a story of salvation in your family? Oh, I, I praise the Lord for, for my family heritage and, and that, that I have parents that, that nurtured and raised me to know the Lord. And they had parents who loved and nurtured and raised them in the Lord. Do you have a story of salvation that you can tell? Or, or maybe you're just beginning to write the first pages of your story. Oh, Clint, what a great theme for the youth this week. What's next? And, and for some of you, what's next may be to write chapter one about how God breathed new life into your dry bones. And for some of you, God continues to write and to, to shape this story of salvation. And today we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 10, where we left off, and, and we're going to continue the story of, of the salvation of Cornelius and his family. We're going to engage Peter this morning and, and see what God is doing and stirring in his life. And maybe, just maybe, what God stirred in Peter's life to be a part of Cornelius' family's story of salvation is what God wants to stir in our lives to stir in our lives, to stir in our community, in our nation. It's been a tough week. We started wonderfully with the, the reflection and remembrance of Martin Luther King Jr. and his contribution to fighting racism, a fight that cost him his life. And yet reminded this week that racism is still an ugly part of our lives, of our culture, of our communities here in Norman, Oklahoma, in our nation's capital. Again, we saw the picture of, of actions. You can't help but think racism stirring beneath all of that. A government dysfunction shut down. Finally, at least the workers are going to be paid. But does anyone think that our government is healed and fixed. Join me in, at, at Acts chapter 10 as we pick up this story and we ask the Spirit of God to come and to, to breathe new life in us. Pick up in verse 9. We're going to read about 22 verses, a little bit longer, more text, but it's a beautiful narrative. It's a powerful story that, that the Spirit of God will speak to us as we read through His Word this morning. On the next day, this is after the experience we shared last week with, with Cornelius. On the next day, as they were approaching their way to the city, these are the men that Cornelius sent to find Peter. Peter went out on top of his house about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making the preparations for, for lunch, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet came, coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. That word sheet there means, can also be translated a sail. 
Now, what we discover is Peter was at the home of Simon the Tanner, and that as a tanner, he was, didn't get to live downtown, and that he lived out on the coast, on the edge of town, on the coast, a tough place to live. Somebody had to live there. And so the idea here is that it may have been, as Peter was looking out over the Mediterranean, tired, hungry, praying, that, that a sail, a sheet, a sail, came down out of heaven in this vision that he saw. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to Peter and said, Get up, Peter! Kill and eat! It's lunchtime, okay? But Peter said, Oh, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. Now remember, this is Peter. The number three means something to him. Three times he had this vision. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed, in mind as to what the vision which he had had seen might be behold behold the men who had been sent by cornelius having asked directions from simon's house appeared at the gate and calling out they were asking whether simon who was also called peter was staying there and while peter was reflecting on the vision the Spirit of God said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without any misgivings, for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and, and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius. A centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angels to send for you, to come to his house and to hear a message from you. So Peter invited them in, invited these guests in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, Peter got up and he went away with them and some of the other brothers, brethren to Joppa, from Joppa with with him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, for I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know. How unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason have you sent me? And Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is called Peter, to come to you. 
He is staying in the house of Simon the tanner by the sea. So I immediately sent for you, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. What a powerful story. What a beautiful story. Again, we're reminded in, in verse 5 of Acts chapter 10 of Cornelius' story. A Roman centurion, an Italian, a successful soldier, professional soldier, but a God-fearer, a man who gave to the poor, a man who prayed regularly, yet something was missing from his life. And one afternoon in a prayer, he had a vision. And the vision said to send for a man named Peter in Joppa. And so we picked up the story in verse 9. But isn't it interesting that while Cornelius had to have a vision for God to move and to work in his life, God had to do the same for Peter. For Peter was not yet ready to go and to share with Cornelius and his family. So there in this story, Peter, who was hungry and tired and, and went up on the balcony there, the, the, the second floor, to wait for lunch being prepared with that cool breeze blowing off the ocean, had a vision where God began to speak and to work in his life he saw this sail, this, this sheet, maybe come in off the coast, off the ocean, in this vision, filled with all these different animals and, and creatures. And the Lord said, oh, Peter, it's lunchtime. Eat. Oh, Lord, I can't eat that. It's unclean. Even the clean animals that are there have been made unclean by the unclean animals that are there. I can't eat that. Three times, three times Peter has this vision and each time the Lord says to him, what God has cleansed Peter, what I have cleansed Peter, no longer consider to be unholy. If you go back into the Gospels, particularly if you go back to Mark chapter 7, beginning around verse 17, there's, there's a powerful story where for all practical purposes, Jesus tells the disciples that, that basically he's, he's abolishing that, that food doesn't make you unclean. That it's, what, it's not what goes into you that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. What comes from the heart, not what you put in. And so Peter, even though he'd learned this lesson, this truth from Jesus, even though Jesus had freed Peter from this dietary restriction, Peter was still observing the ceremonial dietary laws of his people. And so Peter reacts, Lord, Lord, I'm not going to eat. I've never eaten any of that. But, but it seems to me that, that something may have clicked in Peter's mind that, that maybe this isn't about food. Maybe there's something deeper going on here. Maybe, maybe God is trying to teach me and show me something new today. And so the scripture tells us that Peter was greatly perplexed. 
He was asking that question in, in his prayer time, in his meditation time. God, what are you trying to speak to me? You, you have my attention. This is the third, the third time I've seen this. You know, I, I betrayed you three times. You rose again on the third day. You've got my attention. What are you teaching me? The scripture says that, that he was pondering, trying to understand what was going on. Here's what I would suggest that as Peter was pondering, the Spirit of God was in the midst of prompting Peter to action. For you see, when God is working to reveal something new in our lives, it is not long before the Spirit of God comes along beside us to prompt us into action, into application. Youth, what's the next step? James, I hope you all looked at James this weekend. Do not be hearers of the word, but be doers. If all you do is hear, you're, you're fooling yourself. You're, you're deluding yourself. Be not hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. And when the Spirit of God comes and teaches us, reveals to us truth in our lives, you can, be rest, you can rest assured, you can guarantee that it won't be long before the Spirit of God comes alongside to prompt you into action and activity. And that's what is taking place here. For you see, while Peter was pondering, the three men that Cornelius had sent arrived at Peter's, not doorstep, but at his front gate. Because you see, the, the, the lines of demarcation were clearly set in that culture. And these Gentiles, particularly one of which was a, a Roman soldier, knew that they were not allowed, they were not welcome beyond the gate. And so they stood there at the gate and they began to, to try to get the attention of, of those inside. And it's fortunate that everybody there was named Simon, so they just called out Simon, right? And while this is going on, again, the Spirit of God prompts Peter in this prayer, in this vision, and says, oh, by the way, Peter, there's three guys out at the front gate. There's three Gentiles out at the front gate. And Peter goes, ah, what you have declared to be clean is no longer unclean or unholy. And the Spirit of God says to Peter, go, have no misgivings. But go and welcome them. And so Peter goes out to the, to the gate, out to that, that courtyard area. And, and he, I'm Peter, I'm the one you're looking at. And they tell him about Cornelius and his vision and, and why they're there. And you know what crazy thing Peter does? Okay, see ya. <laughs> hey, come in. And he doesn't just welcome them into the courtyard. He welcomes them inside. Come on in. It's lunchtime. Man, I've been waiting for lunch. Are you guys hungry? And he welcomes them inside, into the home. And the scripture says there, he invited them in and he lodged them. He gave them a place to sleep and to stay because it was too late to begin the journey back. Peter had understood, he had interpreted, he invited them in and offered them hospitality. 
And then the next day, they, they get up and they begin to make their way back to, uh, to Caesarea. And the scripture shows the other side of hospitality. For you see, Cornelius is waiting. He, he understands that, that those guys, they ought to be coming back today. Today's the day that Peter ought to arrive. And so he's invited his friends, his family, to make sure they're present. And Cornelius is watching the horizon. He's watching the streets of Caesarea. And, and in one moment, there they are. And the scripture goes out and, and it says, interesting, two times in verse 25. And then in verse 27, that Peter entered. Well, how do you enter twice? <laughs> I think it's the same, same situation. Cornelius had been looking for them, and, and he ran out to meet them at the gate. Because Peter likewise knew he wasn't welcome to enter into the gate. And there Cornelius had been waiting for them, and, and he saw him, and he meets them at the gate, and, and he falls down before him in, in gratitude and appreciation. Welcome in, welcome in, come in. And he welcomes him into the gate. And then guess what? Peter enters it again. Well, where does he enter in again? He enters, I believe, into the home. And he's welcomed into the home, and there in the kitchen, and there in the living room, and there in the, the dining room, and there in all the rooms of the house are, are Cornelius' friends, his family. And Peter is welcomed in to the home and the living room. Cornelius offers hospitality. He says, I sent for you as soon as I could. And you have been kind enough to come. You have been kind enough to receive my offer of hospitality. And you have come. And, and we read how Peter said, you know, hey, I'm not supposed to be here. It's unlawful for me to be here. And Cornelius understood that and he appreciated so much that Peter was willing to, to break through those racial and cultural barriers to come into the home, into the living room of Cornelius. And Cornelius says, concludes this part of the story, Peter, we are all here. We're all here, Peter. Now, come and tell us. Tell us what God has told you to tell us. We've been waiting for you. Come and tell us what God would have you share with us. What a beautiful story. What a, what a beautiful picture of how hospitality, hospitality is the key to cultivating one family's story of salvation. And I can't help but believe today that hospitality continues to be the key as we cultivate salvation in our lives. How about this? Salvation in our community and salvation in our nation. Living room, what I want to call living room hospitality, opens the door for life-changing conversations. For you see, when we have the courage to, to walk past those barriers and to walk into each other's living rooms. Barriers are broken and conversations and relationships are able to be developed 
that likewise would not. Living room hospitality humanizes the other. And we are a culture that specializes in the other. The one who's unclean. Hospitality does not guarantee agreement, but it does invite understanding. And it encourages and enables us to build relationships. Living room hospitality offers an intimate setting where kindness, goodness, gentleness, and even a little bit of self-control can be practiced and experienced. The living room is the perfect place to tell our stories, to tell our stories of the past, to tell about the challenges that we have in the present, and to talk about the hopes that we have for the future. And when we can have these conversations, we can begin to understand and empathize with each other in ways that we cannot at the gates of society, on the streets of society, and in the meeting places of our lives that meet throughout the community. You see, the living room, living room hospitality is what offers the possibility for life-changing conversations. Some of you will remember the book several years ago called Three Cups of Tea. A story about Greg Mortensen and his work in, in Pakistan. And, and certainly those of you that are familiar with the story, it's a powerful story of, of humanitarian aid and effort. And what came to light that brought a little discredibility to the book was that some of the stories were, were fabricated a little bit. Embellished a little bit. But oh, there were some, some real significant truths in that book talking about how do you relate to other cultures. And here's one of the customs from Baltistan that was shared. Baltistan, a, a province in northern Pakistan, one of the community elders shared with Greg, he said, you must respect our ways. The first time you share a cup of tea with a Balti, you are a stranger. And the second time you take tea, you are an honored guest. And the third time, the third time you share a cup of tea, you become family. And for our family, we are prepared to do anything, even to die. You must make time for three cups of tea. Living room hospitality. Engaging people at a personal level. Recognizing that yes, you're a stranger, but then you can become a guest and a friend. And then as we continue this living room hospitality, you can become family. Where are the living rooms in your life? Those places where you can invite people to join you, where, where you can take off your shoes and enjoy a cup of tea or a cup of coffee with someone. Could that be one of the reasons why coffee shops over the last 15 to 20 years have, have become such an important part of our culture? Because they provide a living room 
for us to sit down together and to visit. Have you ever thought about maybe just using your living room? Inviting folks to come in and share a cup of coffee, a, a meal, a dessert, a, a time of fellowship to tell stories, relate to each other. That's one of the reasons I love Disciple Now. You guys get to go to other people's homes. You get, you've been in their living rooms all weekend, except when you were out at heyday. That's what I'm talking about is sharing together hospitality and having conversations that, that tell your stories and, and can talk about spiritual things. What you experience this weekend, youth, is, is not just a one-time experience. It's, it's a model for life of welcoming people into your living room. I'd like to share four possibilities that hospitality may have for us today. Two deal specifically with our community and culture. Two with, uh, three, two with our church, our spiritual growth and development. First of all, what if we believed and practiced and understood that if we could begin to cultivate hospitality to end racism? Galatians 3.28, Peter says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile. You are one in Christ Jesus. I believe the story of Peter and Cornelius is a bold condemnation against racism. Instead of praying, and this was a, a, a historic Jewish prayer, and it, it, had, it had renditions in other cultures, but an ancient prayer that went something like this, God, thank you for not making me a Gentile. Instead, the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims now there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We are one in you. And yet, racism continues to be seen in our culture, in our community, on our campus, among young, among old. Racism at the U.S. Capitol, and, and we've seen the stories, we've seen the videos, and, and we know there's so many different renditions and what may have happened or may not have happened, but somehow we can't help but understand and believe that, that racism was at the core of what we saw this last week. And whether it is or whether it isn't, many believe that racism is at the heart of this nation's immigration conversation. You see, racism runs deep within. And the truth is, is that we are often unaware of its manifestations in our lives and in our systems and structures. And so we must be willing to listen to the stories of those who feel and believe and have been victimized by racism. And we must come to the reality that for those whose race has provided opportunity, that we must be careful to use that opportunity to serve and to benefit others. Galatians 5 says, says this, Paul writes that Christ has set us free so that our freedom is not an opportunity for selfishness, for the flesh, but rather our freedom is an opportunity to love and to serve others. 
Again, we must be willing to listen to the stories and experiences of prejudice and racism that others have gone through so that we might understand their freedoms, excuse me, their fears, their challenges, and their struggles. And then, like Peter, we must be willing to use our freedom to act, to advocate, and to speak words of salvation and freedom for others. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way, we must learn to live together as brothers or we will perish together as fools. And what better place to begin those conversations than as we would invite folks of different races into our living rooms to hear their stories and to allow us to share our stories So who is it that you should and need to invite into your living room to understand the challenges and struggles of race in our community and begin to consider how you can make a difference? Secondly, what if we begin to cultivate hospitality to end political polarization? 1 Timothy 2 says that we are to pray for all who are in authority so that we may lead a life of tranquility and a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We are to pray for those in authority. That The God-given function of authority is to create systems and structures so that we as citizens might lead a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and in dignity. Certainly we will give thanks that government workers are back at work and receiving their checks hopefully in the next days. But does anyone think that the polarization and dysfunction of our government is fixed? What if we, and it's hard to demand hospitality, you need to be nice to each other, but what if our government officials began to cultivate hospitality with one another? What if they began to sit down, not in the conference rooms, in the halls of power, what if they began to sit down with each other in living rooms and actually listened to each other and tried to understand one another. In a political climate of winners and losers, we are all losers. There are no winners. But what if the end of political polarization didn't begin in Washington, D.C.? What if it began in the living rooms of our homes in Norman, Oklahoma. We're as polarized as any other people in the nation when it comes to political views. What if we began to seek out those that that we would consider ourselves to be polarized against and said, you know, I'd really like to sit down and invite you into my living room and and to have a cup of tea or coffee with you and, and begin to talk about some of these things so that we can understand one another. We can work towards solutions. Third, I think we should be able to continue, as this story has alluded to, to cultivate hospitality, to nurture stories of salvation. I love Peter's response, excuse me, Cornelius' response to Peter. I sent for you and you came. You accepted my invitation. You've been kind enough to come. 
Cornelius understood he would be considered to be unclean. Church, in our sin, we are all unclean. God has not declared any sin to be clean now. Rather, what God has declared is that through Jesus Christ, we can all be made clean. And we have a story to tell. Who is asking you to come into their living room and say, hey, tell me what God has told you. Tell me what God is doing in your life. And who are you inviting into your living room to share the same thing? And lastly, we must cultivate hospitality as a church. We've talked about what what does it mean for us to grow young while we grow old together. And part of this question is, how can we better cultivate hospitality as a church? How can we improve our hospitality on Sunday mornings? Next Sunday, we have our Super Bowl lunch. It's a beautiful picture of living room hospitality. Everyone's invited to stay for lunch and to sit around the table together and share the soups that you will bring. Please bring soup next week. We'll provide the living room. You provide the soup. But it's a beautiful time of fellowship as we sit down around the tables and get to know each other and share conversation. As a staff, we've talked about the importance and need of how can we, how can we see some home groups form where people are meeting in living rooms in our community because there's something that happens in the living room that allows you to share your stories Talk about spiritual things. Church, this morning we give thanks for the vision of the visions of Cornelius and Peter because they invite us to cultivate hospitality in our church, in our families, in our community, and even in our country. And as we share this gift of hospitality, we'll also have many opportunities to share the work of salvation that God is doing in our midst. Let's pray.